Hello and welcome to Stupid Sequence, the show where we make ranked lists of things that don't matter because arguing with your friends is fun. I'm your host, Josh. And I'm your host, Scott. This is our eighth episode, and we'll start with a quick summary of what the show is. The goal of each episode is to create a ranked list of something, usually media-related. Normally, Scott and I pick a topic before the show and each come prepared with a list of ten, but this week is a bit of a special week. We've got a guest on. It's my sister, Milo. It's me. Hello. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi. So I'm Milo. I live in Texas, and I went to school for English and linguistics. So books are my thing. Milo knows more about this thing, this stuff, than either of us. (laughs) Because I went to school for a thing that's pretty useless, but it does make (laughs) for fun conversations on podcasts. Hmm. You've done some writing. I yes, More than I, do I have. writing as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're very excited to have you on for this one. Thank you for having me. Like I said, normally we come prepared with a list of 10. Um, since we have a third one, kind of like when we had our previous guest on, my dad, um, we're each gonna, we've each brought a top six, um, and we're really going to talk about in detail about our top four. Um, so... Yeah, we the first segment we talk about the first we're going to talk about the first four items from each of our lists in detail, why we feel they fit the list, why they're meaningful to us, or maybe some interesting facts about them. From there, we'll use the second segment to briefly mention the remaining items on our separate list before going head to head and arguing over which items belong in the official top ten. So the the topic here, as uh, has been alluded to already, we're talking about the top ten worst books you had to read for school. And we are slowly are working so our way through your family, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next episode will be uh, top 10 worst members of Josh's family once Ooh. you get enough of them. Oh my gosh. Uh, There's that one. Uh, no, never mind. Never mind. I won't say it. <laughs> At some point, my wife wants to be on, so we'll have to have her as well. Sometimes uh, you'll have to get uh, a guest in here, Scott. Well, Come yeah. on, pick up the slack here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, top, top 10, 10 books. Top 10 reasons why Scott won't pick somebody from his family to be a guest <laughs> uh, yeah okay that's a good we'll just uh, we'll get we'll get meta with the episodes here mm. so uh this is a this is a topic that milo came up with when i was talking to them about the podcast um i i was enthusiastic about this and i started drilling down into it and went i i i gotta remember what books i read from school <laughs> yep <laughs> um, and I ended up digging into, I found a Goodreads list that was like 1,800 books long of like books used for school. And then most of it was nonsense with like one person suggested this. But there, I, there were several hundred examples of like, oh, yeah, I had to read this or I've heard of this book at least. Um, and so I, I, found a, I found a whole bunch of items. And boy, I had visceral reactions reading some of these titles and went, oh, I haven't (laughs) thought about this book in like 15 years, but I remember hating it. I'm so glad I got to bring a little hatred into your, your day. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know. I'm a, I don't know that I ever truly hated any of the books on my list, but there are some that are pretty bad. And 
I am looking forward to this discussion, but I gotta say, this whole research and preparation felt a lot like homework, and I was not a fan of that. <laughs> uh, you gotta go over your, uh, gotta go over, uh, uh, Scott, did you write up your themes and summaries for each of your books on your list this, yes, this l- week? Yes, I'll be explaining the pros for each of them, uh, as well as some of my favorite symbolism and, uh, of course, metaphors. I've got those mm-hmm. prepared as well. Uh, the no, light at the end of the pier in The Great Gatsby represents how boring yeah. the book is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's so much so that my my wife even commented about, oh, you, you don't seem too excited about this topic. I'm like, because it seems like homework. Like, am I, what am I preparing here? It's, it's frustrating, but I, it's less rewarding than the usual frustration. I don't. I don't know what I'm doing here, and so I'm hoping that we get some good content out of this because it, it was it was a rough one. I gotta say, we're really setting up a joyful uh, top episode. 10, <laughs> top ten uh, most work to pre- the top ten podcast episodes that take the most work to prepare for. Mm. All right, well, why don't we jump in? Uh, we'll start this week with Scott. You're number four on your list. What um, you got? Number four. It's it's a book neither one of you have ever heard of. It's called Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. <gasps> oh no! How dare and you? This Go on. this book, written in eighteen eighteen, mm-hmm. it you know I'm gonna do my best to try to keep the details straight because this book has been remade and reinterpreted through many 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 different mediums, and there's like likely some cross wiring in my brain. So I'll try to keep the details straight, but it's going to be tough. Um, First of all, people are way too snarky about this book, and that alone is reason enough for (laughs) me to dislike it. If you are particularly snarky about, oh, I read read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and now I'm a better person for having read it, I automatically don't like you, and I don't like the book, and I'm sorry. But I'm also not sorry. So hearing the phrase, well, Frankenstein is not the monster's name. Oh, really? I'm I'm so glad you told me that. I I swear, in the last 15 years, that phrase has been said to me at least once every single year. How is it possible that people don't know that Frankenstein is the name of the student in the book and not the monster? Like, I feel like it's been 200 years. People know. It's okay. We can just stop. You're not clever. Scott, I'm here to tell you something. You're not edgy. Don't tell me. People are very stupid. <laughs> it's so frustrating that that whole portion of it. So I, going beyond that and, you know, my frustration with the, the general consensus of the people who read this book, but the old time English, not not really great for me. It was a bit tough to get through. If I have to read it and then interpret it and then reread it and reinterpret it, before I have to, un- before I'm able to actually understand the section and then move on, I'm probably not going to enjoy the book. And I just felt like it was it was a slog to get through. And you know, the the media has done a much better job adapting it and changing it to themes that are better presented regarding the overall story. But yeah, this this book was really really rough for me. I read the first half of it. And then I tried to spark note in the middle. I remember that for the, I think it was 11th grade English class. And, and that even wasn't enough 
and apparently we had to go deeper and no that is not a reference to a movie about dreams and anyway i don't know just <laughs> overall i'm just very frustrated with the book and i i did not enjoy it and i'm sorry if you did because it was awful <laughs> scott i'm afraid you're about to fe- face some fierce competition on this one Mm. You sure are, because if this had been a list of my top 10 favorite books I had to read for school, that would be in the top three easily. But Ugh, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew this one was a favorite of Milo's. I really yes. like I really like Frankenstein as well. Uh, I, I personally I, I did. This was not eligible for my list because I didn't actually have to read it for school. I just read it on my own. Hmm. Um, prob- probably when I was in high school. But I, I remember really liking this book. Uh, and I will just give to you be clear, these comments, note, Scott. these are in no way meant to reflect my feelings on the amazing movie, Young Frankenstein. All right. <laughs> Which is ahead. incredible. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, but I will right. give you points in that the fan base of Frankenstein does tend to be pretty obnoxious. Yeah, there's some pretension that comes along with um, a good portion of, you know, I, I feel like you can get a certain amount of this with people who are way into a lot of classic literature yes including snobbery around well this book isn't really literature this is just a, this is just a <laughs> fiction novel but it's not literature you know uh i saw an interpretation on this where they indicated the the book itself because it's so unclear on the the biology and the science of the situation that it's not really a uh, an early um it's not it's not really meant to be a, an early fantasy style or sci-fi novel it's it's more meant to be you know a period piece and a commentary on the uh, Mary Shelley's life at the time and whatever that's fine uh and some of the progressive movements that's all fine um what i what connected it for me and was really interesting about that comment that i didn't realize before i they did not describe the the mechanics of how the the monster was reanimated and it was only Mm -hmm. later that the media kind of added the lightning storms and the crazy scientist type thing because he wasn't even a doctor in the book he was just a student i think so it's (laughs) true it's this is where the cross wiring comes in because a lot of people probably don't realize some of those things but i just i don't hate the book i just really struggled with it and as a result of the people that really like it, I find it unappealing. You heard it from Scott. Uh, Frankenstein is the Rick and Morty of the literary universe. <laughs> Ooh, I wouldn't go that far, but I'm sure I could find that book. I like that Let us phrase. know when you find it. Yeah, I'm curious about what that could be. I think Frankenstein is not a bad uh, option in terms of sci-fi with a bad fan base, but there might be a better uh, parallel. Yeah, well. Maybe maybe we'll find it as we go through the rest of the list. Could be. My my mind is going uh, pretty quickly to think through a couple different books that would be contenders, but I'll save it. Let's let's wait and see what comes up on this list. But th- anyway, that's my number four. You know, disagree with me? That's fine. I I just really didn't like it. So, um, do we want to kick it over to Milo next? You want to give us yours? Yeah. Let's do it. I feel like mine might be a little bit of a. Uh divisive answer as well so Mm, buckle up buttercups my number four is where the red fern grows by wilson rawls oh no (laughs) 
So I have a very specific reason for it. I don't think it's a poorly written book. I think there's a reason it's still read today, even though it was written in 1961. It has staying power for a reason. Uh, I think all bad required reading falls into one of four categories. Okay. And this one is one that I particularly like. It's it's the lowest on the list. That's why this is fairly low. But it is just the category of, oh, no, an innocent soul is dying. So <laughs> similar to like Bridge to Darabithia, where it's just like, it's a fine story about childhood. And then there's just a death out of left field. And... Uh, know, just to interject really quick, we I, we neglected to mention that this at the top of the show. We're going to be spoiling some stuff here. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> most of, the, I feel like most of, like everything on my list, I think is at least 50 years old, if not more. Uh, so, you know, this has been around a while, but if you're particularly sensitive about spoilers for stuff you haven't read or consumed, this is going to be a spoilery episode. So, yeah, uh, my, anyway. Bit. Mine are almost all at least 70 years old, and Frankenstein is 200, so I think we're okay. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, but worth, worth shouting out. Anyway, continue, Miles. Miles, sorry to interrupt. Oh, no problem. Uh, there's, there's not much. It's a very short book, to be honest, and I think I, I had to read it in middle school, or our teacher read it to us, and I just remember literally just children sobbing all around me because if you don't know the plot is there's just this little boy who uses two dogs to hunt with um old dan and little big dan yeah it's big dan right i thought it was old dan it might be big dan i have not read it in a very long time (laughs) i nor have i probably not since like seventh grade but you know it's just lovely childhood romp through the countryside and then at the end (laughs) Uh, one of the dogs gets mauled by a cougar, and then the other one dies of sadness. <laughs> yep. So it's, a, it's like a primer for grief for <laughs> uh, 12-year-olds, and I just feel like there's a more delicate way to do that than through puppy death. You, uh, you were right, it is old Dan. I was wrong. Um, and <laughs> you were also right on, boy, this book is, I think to this day, one of like three books that has ever made me cry. I read this probably when I was around 12 or 13, and it just destroyed me. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, it is, I think, a lot of kids, like, first experiences with being gutted. Yeah, because just, it's, when, when, when old Dan gets hurt, um, it, you know, that's like, oh, no, this is really bad, and ends up dying, and then just, like, the sadness in the main character as he's just like watching the other dog waste away because she's so sad that the other her companion died. It's mm-hmm. just like, oh no. Like I think she literally starves to death. She just like refuses yeah. to eat and just like wastes away. And it's it is bleak. You know, as I was reading through suggested li- uh reading or compiling this list, I considered putting this on my list as well. For those exact same reasons. So I yeah. not divisive on my side at least. I believe that you are absolutely correct. This is thank you, thank you. one of the worst. I I genuinely still really like this book. It made me cry. I was very upset, but I I, I came down pretty positive on this one overall. Such is your right to do so. But I, I I can definitely understand how, you know, going straight for like the hey, the dogs died. Um, you know, maybe seen as a, a shortcut to emotional manipulation on the author's <laughs> part. But uh, 
Yeah, so I, I, I get it. Delightful. Thank you for backing up my choice. Well, with that in mind, do we want to pass it over to Josh and see what, what you have for your number four? Yeah, um, my number four is, I think, maybe similar to what you were saying, Milo. I don't think this is a poorly written book, but boy, did I have a miserable time with it. Uh, we're talking about 1939's book by John Steinbeck, The oh, Grapes oh, of Wrath. Yes. I had to read that one as well. Uh, this I, book is... I did not read this book and was not forced to. Not the Steinbeck book that I was forced to read. Uh, and to be clear, there's other Steinbeck that I really like, so this isn't like <laughs> a specific vendetta against uh, John Steinbeck. This is... I just had a bad time with this book. Of Mice and Men, I think is fantastic. But yes. um, anyway, The Grapes of Wrath. Um, I'm going to do a, a bit of a plot summary here. Just um, This book um, is set during the Great Depression. Uh, and I think the, the plot summary is just uh, going to help to kind of convey my problems with the book as I think it conveys its themes well. I think it's well written. It is just crushingly depressing. Just the kind of the point, but I just had a bad time reading it. So uh, the book follows the Jode family during the Great Depression as they try to escape the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma by traveling to California. They're forced to leave their farm due to a bank eviction, along with most of the other farmers in the area, and they see no option but to try and seek a better life, even though this means breaking Tom, Tom's our protagonist here, uh, Tom's parole by leaving the state. On the road, there's a lot of other migrants, including some on the way back from California, saying there's nothing for them there. Multiple members of the family die on the way, multiple other family members leave, and they generally have a horrible time. When they get there, they find conditions not much better, encountering Hoovervilles, large amounts of people out of work, and government systems that have completely failed the people. Family friend and former preacher Jim Casey, who came along on the trip, tries to become a labor organizer and start a union to fight for workers' rights. Meanwhile, the only work the Jode family can find is as scab labor, breaking a strike at a peach orchard. The pay is barely enough to survive on, survive on for a day. Casey is killed in a strike that goes violent. Tom kills the worker that killed Tom, and Tom has to flee. Or that killed him, and uh, Tom has to flee. The oldest Joe daughter, Rose of Sharon, who has been pregnant, delivers a stillborn baby. Family has to move to higher ground to escape flooding near the end of the book and take shelter in a barn where they find a starving man and his son. The book ends with Rose of Sharon breastfeeding the man in order to save his life because that's the only possible food they have available. So it's just, it's just thing after thing after thing of just soul-crushing depression just grinding you down as you work your way through this fairly lengthy novel, if I remember right. I don't, I don't have the page count in front of me or anything like that, but I, I remember this being just interminably long as you just, about all the possible ways that this, uh, this family, a family during the Great Depression can suffer, all the different ways that it, all the bad stuff happens to them, all the government institutions are failing and corrupt, everyone is having a miserable time. <laughs> it's just a hard read. That one Where's almost the made it on my list for the same reason. Sorry, was that Milo? That one almost made it on my list for the same reasons. Yeah, it's just... Sounds it's rough. It's just a bummer. It's <laughs> just a bummer. This, like, this, work, this, this book was so much of a bummer for me that it put me off wanting to read or watch anything having to do with the Great Depression for, like, a decade. 
I was just like, I just don't want to think about this time period because it's just it's too depressing. Every, I just think about the Grapes of Wrath and how miserable that was. And I just don't want to hear about it. Yeah, I, I completely sign off on that. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I, I, I think it's, you know, Steinbeck probably did accomplished what he set out to do here. I just didn't enjoy it. <laughs> and I don't think you were meant to. This is the last item on my list here uh, that I'm going to say that about because the re- I think my my top three here are books that I actively dislike and don't think are good. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, but we'll get there in a minute. Uh, so for now, why don't we go back over to Scott for your number three? Number three, The Old Man in the Sea by Ernest. Ernest Hemingway. Mm. Oh no, again. <laughs> 1952. So let me say in this one, I am a fisherman. I've been fishing my whole life. I learned to love fishing, spending time with my grandpa and my dad. So this book should have hit home for me, but it did not. It was just plain boring. And I don't care about the old man. And I I am stealing the following summary from a Reddit post that I found, but I thought it was pretty succinct. Here's the summary of the entire book. Man has not caught fish in long time. Man goes out to sea, catches big fish, takes days to reel fish in, reels fish in, it is a big fish, ties it to the side of the boat, fish gets eaten by sharks on the way home. The end. Wow. That is a fair summary. <laughs> I just... I, I struggled with this one. Some say Hemingway is all about subtext and that you have to reread to better understand. And, and maybe that's true. But kind of the same thing with Frankenstein for me. Just I don't want to have to stop and reread and rethink about it and then read it again from a different perspective. I didn't enjoy it enough to want to do that. I have done that with other pieces of media, but in this case, it was just not a good contender for it. Uh, The whole thing just kind of fell flat. But I've also been told that being forced to dissect a book leads to hating it, kind of regardless. So maybe this is some of that, but I'm not prepared to make this a priority in my life to read again just because of that comment. So. Yeah, did not enjoy The Old Man in the Sea. And uh, if you're looking to fall asleep, probably <laughs> probably read that book. I will say, saving grace for you for The Old Man in the Sea, at least. Um, it's very short. Yeah, I want to say less than 100 pages. So I want to say like 75, 80, something like that. I don't, I don't remember the exact number. That I'm sure it varies by print, but... Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it says about me that I've liked every single one of the books that you guys have suggested for this year <laughs> uh, so far. Uh, Old Man and Sea is the only Hemingway I've read, and I remember, I, I, I think I was like sophomore in high school or something when I had to read it, and I remember really liking it, but also I don't think I've read it since then, so, um, but I remember, you know, it's very man versus nature kind of um, story in terms of conflict structures, and I remember in school being um or as a kid even the amount i i read a bunch of different stories of that type like uh 
you remember stuff like hatchet or looking like mm-hmm. your survivalist like kid has to survive in the wilderness type of stories i remember liking those a bunch and this kind of lived in a similar space in my head so maybe that's why i jived with it a bit more hmm. it'll be interesting to see if the rest of my books follow all one theme and milo given your expertise in the subject maybe you can help us draw some conclusions as to why i hate certain books or dislike <laughs> This is like tarot, but for uh, with much thicker cards. Yes. <laughs> uh, almost like a shrink, but f- a literature shrink. There you go. I, f- I feel like I could make an industry in that. Mm-hmm. The lit shrink. Like Tune that. into Mila's new podcast. <laughs> there Things I can tell about you from the books you like or don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Once we figure out what the Rick and Morty equivalent book is we'll know for sure like oh you're that person okay yeah mm-hmm. i i know your entire personality based on that selection because that's what we need in this world is more ways to judge each other <laughs> have you read the old man in the sea milo i have not the only hemingway i've read is the sun also rises okay, uh, yeah. and i do not like it uh for me it falls into uh the other category of thoughts of a sad white man <sighs> Uh, which is a large, you know, classic literature genre. So was that never is, really that fond is very of that true. one. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you what: multiple items on my list fall into that category. All right, here's a, here's it. a question I have for you: for your top four, do you have one item from each of your four categories? I do not, but oh, okay. you guys you, you picked make sure up the to one tell that us. I'm missing. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I want to I want to hear what they all are for sure. So absolutely. Hmm. So I, the last thing I'll add on this, I. The one other interpretation that I read that kind of gives me a different perspective on it, but keep in mind I was in high school at the time I read this, so it's not really something that I was thinking about. But um, somebody indicated that Hemingway was nearing the end of his life and thinking back on it, and maybe was feeling like, "What is his legacy going to be? What is all that he's done? Did it really add value to people's lives? Is anybody even going to enjoy it?" and Kind of sad white man thoughts is exactly what that was, but I just, eh, I don't know. It's a short story, like you said, Josh, so I'm sure I could just, in in a couple of quick hours, finish it and decide for myself again, but I'm I'm really just not prepared to do that. I think there's probably yeah, better fair. books to spend your time on, or fish to catch. Hmm, I would much rather be fishing for myself. preferably where there are no sharks there's something to be said for certainly like i really enjoy watching uh bad movies there's there's, like very much the like this is so bad it's good kind of type of movie it's really hard to do that with books i've found Mm -hmm. if there's a bad book i just like i just don't want to read this (laughs) this so much more of a a time commitment Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. You get a bad movie, you're probably usually at most like two hours. Mm-hmm. Bad book. Maybe three Ooh. if you're watching a real long movie. Books are Nothing says you have, to com- you have to complete the whole book, though. That is true. I'm a big fan of dumping books. My own internal nature as a person <laughs> who likes to complete things has a very difficult time pushing aside the thing of like, yeah, you got to. You gotta finish it so that you can have like complete thoughts on it. You gotta, you gotta be able to. No, if you di- if you don't complete it, you'll complete it. You'll always wonder. No, my 
my mom is of the opinion that if she gets partway through and didn't like it at all, she'll skip and read the last two chapters and then call it good. Wow. Oh, see, that seems worse to me than just dumping it in total. Like, I've had to train myself out of the uh, Josh system of have to finish it or else. Uh, But, like, just bunny hopping through the book seems chaotic to me. Yeah, my mom's like that. She's definitely chaotic. (laughs) It's chaotic neutral, I would say. I I don't know that it's a a good or evil force. I think she's just like, this is what I'm going to do. And that's it. Like... Chaotic evil is the people who read the last page before starting the book. Yeah. Ah, our grandmother does that. It's crazy. Why? The last page? (laughs) Like, not even the last chapter, because the last page doesn't always... Well, that's dumb. She wants to make sure it's not a sad ending, because otherwise it's not worth reading. Oh, well, you should recommend Where the Red Fern Grows. (laughs) Perfect. But um, (laughs) All right, well, why don't we move on to Milo, your number three. Well, Josh, I think you're going to be happy because you're finally going to dislike one that I dislike because I know for a okay. fact you hate this book. The Great okay. Gatsby. Yeah, The Great Gatsby is uh, a bit of a misnomer because, boy, it sure isn't great. <laughs> this one falls into the category of miserable people are miserable at each other, which is probably my least favorite category of storytelling. If every character is just like a detestable person and they all just make each other unhappy, I am bored and very unhappy also. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I have yeah, not read so- this, but I have seen parts of the movie. Not even the whole thing. Sorry, continue. Oh, you're fine. Which uh, movie? That's a good question. The, I'm the guessing one the with Leo, one? Leo yep. DiCaprio. I believe that came out in like 2014? 18? I was going to say 16. Googling. Who knows? Doesn't oh, matter. Oh, 2013. 2013. I was but way the book off. itself came out in 1925. Right. Uh-huh. So, and it has had many, many adaptations because this is one of the most like world famous pieces of literature period, uh, which is a little baffling to me, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I don't get the appeal. I know a lot of people who really love this book. Uh, For those who don't know, I'd be surprised if you didn't, um, The Great Gatsby follows the story of a uh, young man who travels out to New York to visit his cousin Daisy um, and kind of gets entangled in this really intense like class battle affair swip swap happening out there where there's just like this fern group who are all cheating on each other having a bad time uh all kind of centered around this mysterious millionaire new money man named gatsby jay gatsby and people die sadness is had everybody cheats on everybody and then uh one of the mistresses got mistresses gets run over by a car and uh jay gatsby gets shot and uh the man who shoots him shoots himself so it's just like a whole pile of death and misery uh and nobody comes to gatsby gatsby's funeral in the end just to really put a good shine on how great he is um this is also one of those books that is most like lampooned for having like very obvious symbolism like mm-hmm. josh even alluded to it at the beginning the light across the bay uh lots of people i think their only memory of uh high school english is their english teacher being like now tell me what the symbolism is so i think it leaves right. a bad and, taste in a lot of people's mouths and the, the the stereotypical example of that that's foremost in my mind is the light from the great gatsby specifically exactly which yes it 
it is symbolic. Is it a good symbol? Not really. <laughs> Sorry, F. Scott Fitzgerald. You're a fine writer, and I'm sure you were a cool guy, but it it's a pretty, like, dry book, honestly. Yeah, F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> Fun fact, uh, his wife is the car- the person that the is the namesake for the series The Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. Zelda Fitzgerald. Problematic why, person. Why they chose that, why a Japanese company chose the Great Gatsby's writer as that, I do not know. But that's, a, that's how we have that. She's got a badass name. You have to say it's that. It's a good name. It's a mm-hmm. good name. It's a good fantasy name. <laughs> so this is more like the, the crappy Gatsby or maybe just the mediocre Gatsby? What do we... The great crapsby. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to piggyback off a little bit of what you were saying, Milo, like for me, you're talking about like miserable people making other people miserable. I, I have a hard time with books where every character is a bad person. Mm-hmm. or unlikable um the the example that i can come up with is like i i can enjoy stories that are like that but i need to be able to root for someone i need for mm-hmm. some even if they're a bad person doing bad things if i'm rooting for them or like hoping they succeed or hoping that they'll get better as part of the process of of the story i can really enjoy those kind of things mm-hmm. like breaking bad i think is a good example of that yes, for me absolutely um or everyone in Breaking Bad kind of sucks, but like there's certain characters that like, man, you just want to see them do well, you know, you just want to see them like be become better and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it, there's nothing in The Great Gatsby for me in that area. It's just nope. just misery, nothing but misery. <laughs> Was that on your list as well, Josh? It is not on my list. Oh. Uh, it's an honorable mention for me, but it is <laughs> not uh not did not make my top 6. Yeah, I think that's an early memory for me is you like ranting about it after having had read it in high school and being like, ah, so maybe I just was off on the wrong foot to the start with it. Yeah, I uh, I am five and a half years older than you ish. Mm-hmm. So you, you, get, you get a little bit of that influence earlier on, I guess. Of, I think I had to read this like junior year or something like that. So that's when I had to read it. Or that sorry, no, that's when what was I saying? No, that's when I had to read a lot of these books. That's what I meant. Oh, sure. Okay. sure. Junior year. Why is it always yeah, the I think, toughest uh, year? Great Gatsby, I think. Great choice. Great addition. Thank to the you, list. thank you. Good synopsis too. I appreciate it. Yeah, little little slapdash, but everybody knows I think most people know the story of Great Gatsby because for some reason every, you know, eleventh grade teacher forces it down the gullet of every teenager yeah because that's just what you do in america mm-hmm. mm. you talk about the jazz age the great american novel <laughs> ah, yeah, the was... american dream speaking of which number three on your list which great american novel did you choose well i consider it to be a not great B, definitely not American. Ooh. Uh, predates America, actually. Oh. We're oh, going God. way, way back to 1597. I thought he was going to say the Bible. William Shakespeare. William, nope. Didn't have to read the Bible <laughs> for school, actually. Okay. Um, Wait, did you not were attend. homeschooled. You probably did at one point. Oh, snap. I, w- we were, I, I was homeschooled when I was little, but mom did not 
we didn't do like Bible study as part of really? school. Really? I did not know that. Anyway, That's Shakespeare. Lucky. Anyway, <laughs> Shakespeare, my least favorite Shakespeare. I'm going to talk about Romeo and Juliet. Oh, this is on my short list mm. too. Man, I don't like Romeo and Juliet. Nope. Uh, uh, I'm not going to dig into the plot of Romeo and Juliet because everybody knows it. Everybody <laughs> knows it already, you know. Um, this was this number is, six on my list, by the way. Okay, okay. There's the duplicate. We were informed by our impartial third party that there was one duplicate on the list. Okay. This yeah. is it, apparently. Um, that's, that's low. We usually have, like, a little bit more than that. Um, well, as we've already yeah. ascertained, we have varying, wildly opinions on some of these literature pieces That's yeah true. for sure uh like i said not going to dig into the plot here but th- my main complaint with romeo and Juliet is it is just immensely frustrating to me because <laughs> every single bad thing that happens in the story is incredibly preventable and it only happens because every character involved makes the stupidest possible decision every chance they get um which in minor defense of that they're all children. That and is they're how teenagers are. They're not all children. <laughs> most that's, of them. That's kind of most many of, of them. them are children for sure. But uh, I, I think it's a play about childishness. Perhaps the most frustrating character in this for me is definitely not a child. Uh, the fry I'm gonna. Bird. I'm gonna. As my argument here that I'm presenting, I'm gonna go through some of the bad decisions that are made in Romeo and <laughs> Juliet. Go for it. Um. Romeo Romeo is a creep who becomes obsessed and st- with and stalks a 13-year-old girl after meeting her one time. Mm-hmm. Juliet's nurse helps facilitate said 16-year-old creep gaining access to Juliet's bedroom. They decide to get married after meeting each other two times. An irresponsible friar actually marries them in secret. Juliet's cousin, Tybalt, challenges Romeo to a duel at one point, despite there being a penalty of death for breaking the peace between their two families. When Romeo is banished and Juliet is set to be married to the Count, the friar helps her fake her own death. The friar fails to warn Romeo of this. Romeo finds her, and then his reaction is, I should kill myself with this poison. Juliet awakens, finds Romeo in dead, also kills herself. Then, when the bodies are found, the friar scolds the families for fighting, even though he bears a huge respons- amount of responsibility for these deaths by enabling impe- uh, extremely impulsive teenagers. That tracks. Round yeah. of applause for that one. Very, very accurate uh, teardown of maybe one of the worst love stories of all time. It's, it's bad. It's just... I can understand as... In 1597, that this story was very impactful. Shakespeare liked to write his tragedies, as we all know. Um, and this is arguably the most popular of those. Um, again, much like I said with Steinbeck, there's Shakespeare I like. I really like, I even like some other Shakespeare tragedies. I like Julius Caesar quite a bit. I, I enjoyed that one. But Romeo and Juliet is just by, let's say, Slightly more modern storytelling standards. Every character is holding the idiot ball all of the time. Mm. <laughs> and I f- that adds up to a story that, for me, is just very frustrating all the time. It's like, no, you could just, just don't do that. Just think for like two seconds before you make a decision. But everyone in the story is a moron. Well, I think I we s- can all agree that the 
90s, again, Leonardo DiCaprio adaptation is fantastic. No, I, no, I, I cannot I agree. I love the adaptation. I really like it. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I'm like with you, Scott. Like, it's, it's very campy, but in a really, like, intentional way. Like, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Josh, it's like you said, some movies are so bad that they're actually good. Yeah. That, this is an example of that type of movie. It's Baz Luhrmann's specialty. Yes. Can't say that, uh, can't say I enjoyed that movie, personally. I will say, uh, to add to your lambasting of, of Romeo and Juliet, there are few pains worse in this life than listening to a bunch of 15-year-olds try to read Shakespeare. Uh, it, yeah. English teach, high school English teachers are the strongest people on this earth. They have to do that every day and just sit there. And popcorn reading is bad enough, but when you bring Shakespearean English into it, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. I did Romeo and Juliet, I believe, in seventh grade. Oh um, boy! With uh, the, uh, my English teacher at the time, I vividly remember her name was Mrs. Brunsheen. Great, uh, Mrs. Brunsheen, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but you made me read a lot of bad books. <laughs> I don't. She's definitely not listening to this. No, and that's one. And two, I don't think she had any say in it. I'm pretty sure largely curriculum was just decided by mm-hmm. the state or the school as a whole. And so I feel like teachers probably didn't have as much leeway in our day as they do now. Much like, uh, you know, the saying, all cops are bastards, all English teachers are bastards. They're complicit <laughs> in the system. Whoa. Oh, no. Whoa. <laughs> Most that controversial seems... things said so far. <laughs> That's I'm a controversy engine, baby. All right. As Romeo and Juliet. Uh, uh, for but for have there, you seen Romeo and Juliet? Nope, and I'm not going to. We're going to take our first break here, <laughs> um, and we'll be back in a little bit to talk about the remaining items on our list. So stay tuned, folks. Hey, and welcome back. If, uh, if you're listening so far, it means you're probably at least enjoying us a little bit. We appreciate it. It's probably because we brought a guest on and Milo's awesome. I completely agree True. and understand. Uh, in this case, though, uh, if you have any show ideas or comments or, or you just want to reach out to us for something else, uh, we have a Twitter, uh, unless it's been suspended, unknown, at Stupid Sequence. Yeah, if Twitter still exists by the time this episode goes Yeah, out. right. That's another oh boy. concern. Uh, so tweet at us at Elon Musk or email us at stupidsequence at gmail.com. Probably the Gmail is the better way to go. So <laughs> anyway, reach out to us. Love to hear from you and know that you're actually listening. And it's not just our immediate family and friends. Thanks. Hooray. <laughs> Well, why don't we jump back in? Uh, we've gotten through the first half here. Uh, Scott, how about we go continue with your number two? Mm, my most controversial pick yet. <gasps> oh, boy. Number two, the Lord of the Rit. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Take that say, back. What kind of cool English teacher did you have if you got to read uh, that in school? Uh, well, we did read The Hobbit, but I don't think we were actually forced to read The Lord of the Rings. I Amazing. think I just read it after I read The Hobbit. 
because I read The Hobbit. I'm like, this is amazing. And then mm-hmm. anyway, it's not number two for me. Number two for me is Lord of the Flies. Ah, by another William honorable Golden. mention of mine. Ah, good. Haven't read it. I won't have to fight you as much on this one. And you haven't read it. That that actually no. makes me feel good. As somebody who has a degree in English, having not read it, that tells me it probably wasn't <laughs> as important as they told me it was at the time. So, let me just say that this book is very back and forth in the sense of really crappy childish dialogue because they're kids and that's how they speak to each other. And then I'm going to paint you this beautiful flowery scene and it's super flowery and very descriptive. And then at the end of it, you're like, wait, what did I just read? It didn't really set the scene or do what it was set out to do. It just sounded tonally different from the dialogue portions or like the interactions of the kids. And largely it just, the back and forth didn't do it for me. It, it just didn't go well together. Um, I guess I'll step back for a second for anyone who hasn't read this book. Uh, it's about a group of kids that are stranded on a desert island and kind of their interactions that devolve into basic human instinct and a lot of negative interactions occur during their time on the island. Um, but to add even further, that's putting it mildly. Yeah, I, well, to, to, I, I didn't want to get too deep into it yet because I got some more things to say about it. But okay. to add some additional context to that, and this is something I did not know, this book was partially written as a mocking or criticizing response to another book called Coral Island, which was written in 1857 where three British schoolboys get stranded on an island and live in harmony and they help the natives and it's just it's lovely beautiful adventures those boys I don't know that there's ever a better use of time than to go I'm going to write a novel to take down this novel that was written 100 years prior <laughs> yeah just something like that almost 100 <laughs> uh, but those boys names were Ralph Jack and Peterkin which normally I'd say oh you might recognize but the majority of characters in this book are so forgettable, so mm. I just I forgive you for not noticing, but two of those characters are repeats for this book, and the third is derived, for, or is uh, used as a derivative for another name in the book. So all three are kind of like nods to that. Um, the, the characters, and I, I didn't write down each of their names and, and their individual symbolisms, but there's like the bully and there's the stupid kid and then there's like the two kids that are adventurous and then there's the Jesus figure there's just a whole bunch of eclectic mix of children going on here and ultimately one of them kills another one which <laughs> seems to me kind of obvious now that this was going to occur but we never really learn why it was like as far as the backstory of the character who did the killing we don't know why he's behaving the way that he's behaving. I have no context, and it's really never explained because none of the book is written from his perspective. So it just kind of happens. And it's just like, oh, okay, well, I guess that kid's dead now. Oh, that sucks. Um, but in short, the characters, they just felt really more like Maltese Falcons. Like, throughout the whole book, they... They just serve to advance the story as opposed mm-hmm. to being actually developed and relatable characters. And I, I also think that this, like the previous Old Man in the Sea, it does suffer from a little bit of the it was overanalyzed to death. And yeah. I, I, I remember spending so much time on this book 
just ridiculous amounts of time. Uh, and yeah, I just, I really did not enjoy that. And then I guess the last thing that I would add here is uh, for William Golding, because he did survive World War II. And I'm sorry that you were in World War II, but not everyone put into situations like this is immediately going to be a murderous ticking time bomb. And the way that he wrote indicated that everybody is evil. Just wait until they get put into situations like this and devolve into their own basic instincts. I just sure that's a, that's a central theme of what they're working with here. Like man is inherently evil, right? Which is, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that. Whether or not you subscribe to that, um, the I think William Golding kind of uses that as almost like it's a theme, certainly, but he also uses it as a crutch to not develop motivations for his characters. Uh, that was certainly in, lacking in ways that I I think weakens the story. Hmm. Yeah, overall, I I just did not enjoy this book and. I don't envy any kids that are forced to read it these days. And of course, I, I don't think I'm... I, I think that each of the books on my list is divisive in general, especially Frankenstein, but... Well, kind of by the very nature, right, is like... The, yeah. the, these books are... People are made to read these books in school because uh, society at some point has deemed these as um, as culturally valuable, right? So... Somebody thinks they're good. Hmm. Well, Lord of the Flies should be removed from that list. I don't think it should be a banned book. I don't think any book should be banned, but that's another conversation. A couple things I'd like to mention about Lord of the Flies, actually. Yeah. Um, you may or may not know the Lord of the name Lord of the Flies is a translation of a uh, name of Satan, Beelzebub. Mm-hmm. Uh, literal translation of that. It's um, so badass so. sounding. I yeah, will say it's a, great is a good name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lord of the Fly is definitely a good title. Um, also, I want to mention my specific relationship to this book was colored after the fact of reading it by not only did we read it for school, but we also watched the movie oh, for no. school, which I think the movie is like a 70s film, um, maybe earlier than that. Uh, I'm not sure. But it's terrible. It's a terrible, terrible movie. And the thing I think of when I think about this book is the scene in the movie where the character Piggy is killed Mm -hmm. um, by by, uh, another character pushing a boulder off of a cliff that falls onto Piggy's head. Mm -hmm. Um, And the uh, special effects they do for this are just awful, just awful awful they look incredibly stupid to the point where the obviously foam rock that is dropped onto the actor's head visibly vertically bounces off of his head and (laughs) goes in a different direction and when we watched it in class everybody just died laughing at that part because it is so silly looking so when i think (laughs) lord of the flies i think about a foam boulder dropping off of a a, a kid's head from like the 1963 movie you're referring to or the 1990 remake definitely would have to be the 1960 something movie because um the quality of the film was uh, just visually was such of this is an older movie very funny Not supposed to be. It's supposed to be this big emotionally impactful scene, but instead, the the boulder bounces. That's unfortunate. 
something like that takes away from what's meant to be a little bit more serious in tone. But what can you do? What can you do? <laughs> Remake it in the 1990s and yeah, not make it better. Develop better film technology. Maybe that movie's better. I don't know. I haven't watched it. I don't remember it being better. I I vaguely remember watching it, but I, I couldn't tell you anything about it at this point. I don't think it was a foam boulder, though. <laughs> they actually crushed the kid, you know. Yeah, it's a method acting. It's a snuff film. Of course, film. yeah. It goes along with the themes of the book. Exactly. It's inherently evil. <laughs> All right, well, why don't we kick over to you? Uh, Turns out the kid was Milo. actually allergic to foam. Oh, oh no. okay. That's cruel. Died of asphyxiation. Okay, anyway, yeah, Milo, what's your number two? My number two is Anna Karenina. Do, 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 do. Russian. <laughs> uh, have either of you read this before I go any further? I haven't. This is the first one on any of our lists that I haven't read. Okay. I have not. Okay. Bless your little hearts. Wow, I spelled Karenina right on the first try. You did, but you spelled Anna wrong. That's oh, what I, I was going to say. A in there. <laughs> Anne Karenina, that's the name of the book. Go ahead, Milo. You're fine. Uh, so this is a Russian novel by Leo Tolstoy um, that was technically first published in 1878, but it was actually a serial novel. So it was coming out for years before that. And boy, can you tell it was a serial novel that was paid by the word. Uh <laughs> This is a honker of a book. It is well over 800 pages. Um, It's Russian literature. What are you going to do? Yep. But it absolutely also falls into the category of miserable people being miserable at each other. Uh, The body count on this book is enormous. Uh, So first of all, picture, you know, I'm 15, whatever. You're sitting in English class, la la la. And... Before you even begin discussing what the next book is, the teacher hands out a uh, character tree listing every character in this book because you need it Uh-oh. to understand the book. Because Uh-oh. there are literally dozens of main characters that you have to keep track of and their intricate family backstories. So, obviously, not a great pick for teenagers. It's awful. <laughs> uh, basically, like the bare bonest summary I can make for Anna Karenina is that there are an interconnected series of Russian families who are all very, very unhappy. As the beginning of the novel famously says that every happy family is happy in the same way and every unhappy family is unhappy in a distinct way. Uh, But actually there's a lot of similarities in their unhappiness in that it's a lot of, uh, It's a lot of infidelity, it's a lot of people dying during childbirth, and suicide. So just a lot of really perky, happy people in Russia. Russia. Yay, Russia! So it's it's a it's incredibly bleak. Um, it weirdly has kind of had a renaissance with young people in today's age. Like it got kind of TikTok famous for a while. Um, possibly because there was a movie with Kira Knightley that came out a few years back. But it's just an utterly miserable read. It's like the pinnacle of dismal Russian literature. Uh, And basically, it all boils down to, in the end, all of the death, all of the suffering makes one man feel better about himself. And that's kind of where it leaves it. It's like, ah, all these people died in childbirth and by killing themselves because they gave up on love and gave up on life and gave up on their own children. But now this one guy feels better about it because he realized that life is worth living. 
Yay. Yay. And another reasonable thing to note is that there are four different characters named Alex or Alexi. And no. it is incredibly confusing. <laughs> so. Question I have. Uh -huh. um, I, as someone who has never read any Tolstoy, and I do not remember what time period he's writing in, is, that, is he like 1800s? Yes. Sorry, I forgot to say the uh, year. It was originally published in 1878. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're, so we're pre-communism here. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I figure that's a, that colors it a bit. I was not I was not sure if this is a pre or post or during communism story. Certainly mm -hmm. not post. <laughs> no, but, yeah. it's just a whole big tree of misery. Delightful. I don't recommend it. I mean, if you like really really long, complicated novels that you need a family tree to keep track of, this is your book. But if not, and I'm I, guessing that's most of you, skip it. I have really enjoyed some very complicated dozens of main characters novels um but that's usually more in the epic fantasy space yeah mm. it's a little bit more palatable when there's you know flying and spells and magic happening song of ice and fire comes to mind yeah it's, it's easier to make characters more distinctive when they can literally be like different species yes sentient beings but instead what if they were all russians what if they were all russians and sad yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a bad time. Yep, Are they sad not because they're it Russian? Is... What's that? Are they sad because they're Russian or are they Russian because they're sad? That is a great question. You know, it's one of the age old questions of, of literature. You've really put your thumb right on it. That's why you hear people say, Man, I'm feeling really Russian today. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Russian around. Yeah, no, I gotcha. I I did see other people agreed with you at least on this and that this was a supremely sad and just really difficult complex read so i i definitely see why it's on your list having yes. never read it myself it's it's hard for me to to relate to it i can read a quote from the author himself if you would like to see his no. feelings about it if if as a as an english expert that's literature expert, uh -huh. Milo. Expert. Ooh. I want to know, what's the best <laughs> massive Russian novel? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't read that many. War and Peace. Um, I have read War and Peace. I don't know that I would say it's one of my favorites. That's also Tolstoy, right? <laughs> yeah. That is also Tolstoy. Um, oh, gosh. Leo's Toy Store by War and I, Peace. What is... Crime and Punishment the, the is brothers... the Dostoevsky one, right? Brothers Kar Karamazov? Yes, I, I actually liked that one. Okay, so I've not read that either. So that might be my vote. Um, what about... other than that... Uh, is it Nabokov? Do you ever read, read anything about Nabokov? No? I don't think I have read any... Oh, wait, no, no, no. Did he do... Lolita? Shoot, I have. He wrote Pale Fire. Pa I love Pale Fire. It is an incredible book. Yeah. Um, it's basically this book of poetry that's written by a fictional author, and then the fictional author's n fictional neighbor finds it and annotates it. And it's just a really interesting piece mm. of like creative not or creative fiction. Interesting. Yeah. I so I, when I think Russian literature, this is a weird little rabbit hole. I think of specifically *Crime and Punishment* by Dostoevsky. 
mm-hmm. um, which I have read some of. I certainly haven't read all of it. Um, but that makes me think of a video game. Of uh, they there's a French developer that has made a whole bunch of Sherlock Holmes video games called uh, Frogwares, I believe is the name of the studio. Um, and they put out a game probably six or seven years ago now, I think, that is titled Sherlock Holmes Crimes and Punishments, plural. <laughs> mm, which is a weird title to put on your game. That but that's what I think of when I think title. of Russian literature now, Sherlock Holmes. I'm not sure that's the best connection to make in your head, but you know if it works, it works. Shocking. It's yeah, a it video make sense. game. What? I think about video games sometimes. Strange. <laughs> Oh, well. Anna Karenina seems like a good addition to the list, even if we haven't read it. I would believe from your description that it sucks. Yes, I believe it was also uh, famously Tolstoy's least favorite of his novels. Oh, uh, really? Interesting. He said it should be burned. <laughs> so, you know. You don't see even authors disavowing like books as much. You know, you, like, well, you, get your, you get movie directors that disavow their things because of like studio meddling or things mm-hmm. like that. You know, the make you know alan smithy is a fake director name of of a bunch of <laughs> movies that for directors that disavowed the movie but you don't see that with authors a lot we were just talking about sherlock holmes and that is certainly a case of sir arthur conan doyle disavowing that yeah he wanted people to read his weird historical no- novels and occult books mm-hmm. yeah this kind of goes back to one of those things in the creative space where oftentimes creators don't really know what people are going to latch onto, and so sure, they might absolutely. offer, like in our case, uh, one or two points or something on our list, and we think, oh, that's a throwaway. I'm I'm going to mention it because it's worth mentioning here, but it, it really doesn't matter. But that's the one thing that people concentrate on and comment on and want to talk about, and they ignore all the other stuff and the work that you put in into around an episode or around a list or around whatever the case may be it's it's hard predicting how people are going to react and how that's shaped and changed throughout i guess any kind of media consumption yeah i think a good example of that is um you know a a different type of creative work is you know running a dungeons and dragons campaign as a dm which milo i know you've done Um, Mm -hmm. i have also done scott i don't i don't know that you have but it's one of those things where it's like you never know what piece of the the, the narrative that you're setting forward that your players are going to latch onto and care about <laughs> and become more of a driving force in the story that you maybe that you maybe anticipated. Uh, it's tough to tell sometimes. Yeah, I have found one pretty reliable metric for it though, both in like DM prep and also in writing. It seems like whatever you put the most effort into is the least successful. <laughs> oh, absolutely! And the That's what you 100%. put the least effort into is the stuff people want more and more of. I I created this character on the spot and threw a goofy voice on it, and now my characters are now my players are obsessed with them. Yep, dragging them around everywhere. Yep. Oh well. Hmm. Such is life. Such is being uh, a writer, I guess. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Where were we on the list? This is, uh, Josh, number two. I think we're on to Josh's second. Yeah. Yeah. My number two. Uh, we have firmly moved into from Romeo and Juliet is a book I find frustrating, or a play, I guess, I find frustrating. Um, I move, We're now moving into my top two of books I really really don't like i know what one of these is hate things about them uh number two 
1951, J.D. Salinger's Catcher, A Catcher in the Rye. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is the one that I knew was coming. I just didn't know if it'd be two or one. It is number two for me. Uh, have I've either of you read, read this? I've never read this one either. Nope. Weirdly. Oh, have not. Yeah. Okay. I somehow dodged this one. Uh, this is another one. I'm not, I'm not specifically going to dive into the plot because it's not as relevant to my argument. Instead, um, uh, we're going to talk about why you should hate the main character of this book. Um, <laughs> this is a coming-of-age novel focusing on a 16-year-old Holden Caulfield, who is one of the most annoying characters ever written. Uh, much of the book focuses on how rebellious Holden is. He's constantly acting out. He's fighting against what is expected of him and generally just kind of being utterly unlikable. Um, yeah, I just, I, I read this book. The, the, a big focus of the book is like, you're kind of supposed to empathize like with like what it's like to be a teenager and like, deal with expectations put on you and and fighting back against that sort of things and doing what you want to do um i read this book when i was a teenager and i could not empathize with this obnoxious brat one wit um (laughs) he was just terrible to read about and i hated every minute of it um here's some examples uh he's absolutely obsessed with the idea of people being quote-unquote phonies his perception that uh, most adults become insincere and fake as they get older. The word phonies is in this book like 800 times. He's saying it constantly. It's incredibly obnoxious. Uh, The main thing he actually likes doing is writing, and English is the only class in school he's not failing. Uh, He resents his older brother for becoming a Hollywood writer because Hollywood is full of, you guessed it, phonies. Uh, he punches his roommate for going on a date with a girl he has a crush on, and because his roommate didn't appreciate one of Holden's writings, uh, he runs away to avoid dealing with his parents finding out about him being expelled from school because he's failed almost every single class. Um, he antagonizes a prostitute and a pimp, then fantasizes about murdering the pimp. He harasses people about his perception of them being gay, so that you know that's a good one. He mishears a poem, develops a strange fantasy about saving children from losing their innocence by being a quote-unquote catcher in the rye, uh, the title. Uh, what that means in this context is he's preventing children from going over a cliff while, running th- while they're running through a field of rye. Oh, Weird thing to focus on here. Then someone points out to him that he has misheard the words of the poem and that completely kind of destroys his whole fantasy that he's created here. And so his response to that is he's just going to break down in tears. Um, Holden's supposed to be kind of an emotionally unstable teen who has, you know, had been in and out of having um, mental uh, help and, and whatnot. Um, and being like hospitalized for that at one point, but he's just, it's just a miserable character to read about. I just couldn't stand him. And the whole book, is, the part of the problem is it's a first person narrative. Holden is narrating the book. So everything is filtered through his perspective and his language. You don't have like um, a more like oblique narrator language to go on. It's just everything is Holden. And it just is, it just grates on, for me anyway, it grated on me the entire experience. Hmm. Because I was curious, I looked it up. The word phony appears 35 times in the book. 
I'm pretty sure it's more like 872. <laughs> I think you I think you missed I think you missed some there. You're right. I actually found a copy of the book, flipped through every page and counted myself as opposed to just googling it and checking two different websites. So you know, it's not Scott. it's not common. It's not that common when you have a word like phony used in a book 2875 times. I guess not. Yeah. I probably just <laughs> some of them were misspelled as like T H E and I don't know. It doesn't matter. Sure. Uh, interesting thing I uh, also learned about this book at, at, um, at some point not when I read it initially but in the years since um, this book went on to inspire uh, multiple shootings of people's uh, mm-hmm. attempting murder on other people because they identified with Holden Caulfield mm. um, including the murder of John Lennon and the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan yeah, John Lennon's assassin had a copy of Catcher on the Rye on him, I think. Yep. I saw it in a museum once. It should, which is really bizarre. Um, I, yep. I'm going to submit that this is a top contender for that Rick and Morty book. <laughs> I, I really feel like if, if you're identifying with them as, you know, the, the main hero of the story in the same way that you identify the Joker is like somebody who's meant to be revered in the Joker movies or in any Joker related media, then I think you're missing the point. I think you found it. This is kind of a, um, a phenomenon you see of like people identify frequently, um, young white men identifying with characters that you are, explicitly not supposed to identify with things like i don't know travis bickle from taxi driver or uh tyler durden in fight club (laughs) you know things like that where it's just like low media literacy leads to people idolizing characters that are supposed to be reprehensible i'm putting it on the short list we'll we'll keep talking (laughs) yeah That, that my my one argument maybe against your um the rick and morty ization of this book is uh I don't actually know a single person who likes this book, as far as I know. <laughs> well, some people seem to have found it inspiring, but maybe uh, it's some negative. Uh, maybe not, not a good. very wide fan base. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a catcher in the rye. Um, we have only our number ones left. So, Scott, why don't we jump over to your number one? Oh my gosh, number one already. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. Well, I. I just I get the sense that Milo's going to be pissed at me for this one. Uh-oh. Uh, and <laughs> I don't know why. I just feel like this is probably one of those books that uh people will always tell me that you know, you just don't get it. And like, well no, I, I do get it. I just don't like it. And for me that is Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis. Ooh. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> This this book, 1915. Um, it, for those who don't know, the main character in the book, Gregor, wakes up and has been transformed into an insect. Um, largely, people have said cockroach or some other kind of creature. Um, in fact, then there is so much loose language. And metaphor inherently strapped in the absurdism that is Kafka that people can't even agree whether 
the main character was physically transformed into a, a critter or a vermin or whatever or not. Like it's just a huge contentious debate between the the lit community, classic lit community on this. Um, but for those of you that want to decide for yourself, here is the sentence that I'm referring to. It says, As Gregor Samsa awoke one morning from uneasy dreams, he found himself transformed in his bed into a gigantic insect-like creature. My That seems fairly explicit. Yeah, my interpretation is mm-hmm. he's literally physically transformed. But there are people who say that no, that word transformed, it's it's a metaphor. He's metaphorically feeling so bad about himself that it's like he's an insect. It's like, well... Uh, Metaphorsis. Okay. I, I didn't want to argue with anyone on this, but I, I can say that is the start of the book, and that is the start of the confusion. Um, so much of the book is is really filled with unnecessary details I want to say he spent a good amount of time talking about the monotony of the cleaning habits of the various people in the household, which was not at all relevant to the story. It was just, oh, yeah, so-and-so does this on this day, and they clean this, and like, why? Why are we talking about this? <laughs> um, I, I noticed that Kafka explicitly forbade his publishers from attempting to illustrate the creature. It was not meant to be on any book covers or any kind of interpretation in physical form later on, um, even from far away. And that was indicated in his wishes. Don't depict this critter at all, um, because Mm -hmm. he would rather it be left to the reader's imagination. I think that rule has since been broken. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, largely people think of it as a cockroach, but that's actually an example of the mandala effect because I don't think that's ever explicitly stated either. Um, That is correct. Yeah, it's never said. um, Difficulties of translation and classification aside, uh, Russian literary mastermind and lepidopterist, which is somebody who studies moths and butterflies, um, you may know him as the author of a book that you just mentioned, Vladimir Nabokov. Uh, he decided that he knew exactly what Gregor Samsa had turned into. And against the author's wishes, he drew a picture in his own teaching copy of the novella. And Nabokov also heavily edited his edition, which Kafka was, I'm sure, would have been thrilled about. Um, but in a lecture on the metamorphosis, he concludes that Gregor is quote, merely a big beetle, and furthermore, one who is capable of flight, which would explain how he ends up on the ceiling. Yeah, it's, uh, let me, who among us is not merely a big beetle? Let let me keep going and extrapolate as to why there's my main, what my main problem is with this. Um, first of all, guy wakes up and he's presumably physically turned into a giant insect of some kind um it's never explained why not fully not directly i mean loose super loose interpretations and subtext and absurdism you could probably say that it's because that's how he feels and he probably turned into it because he always felt down on himself and like he was a an insect but i i struggled with that a lot 
because it it's just so ridiculous. But not only are we never explained that, but I find it hard to believe that anyone having woke up and physically changed forms would immediately think, well, you know what? This sucks. I better head to work. Because that's what he does. He goes to work. He, he does not even like, I should figure out what's going on here and I should, you know, try to solve this mystery. It's just, nah, I gotta keep going with my life. So I, I realized that thing. I get paid. Yeah. Well, he is supporting his family, right? And his family um, is pretty useless, but they rely on him to be, he's a traveling salesman. Um, covers a lot of distance. I can't remember exactly what he sells, but it's uh, it seems kind of absurd to me, and I feel like I keep using that word, but it kind of goes hand in hand with Kafka, so forgive me. Um, when it comes to sales, especially door-to-door sales in that time period, if your physical form is that of a cockroach or other insect, it seems like it would be less successful. Maybe that's yeah. That's gonna be hard. Me, <laughs> that's gonna be hard to make sales. I think. Yeah, I I just I remember being very confused at the ridiculousness of it all. Um, <laughs> but by so, um, let me keep going here. Uh, the family members are super ungrateful, even though he's been busting him his own butt to support them and. Um, now that he's physically changed and completely, uh, in- please be incapable. busting his thorax. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yep, thorax. Um, pneumothorax. And then as soon as uh, he actually needs help from them, they pretty much just like turned on him. And by the end of the book, it's implied that him taking care of them was actually holding all of them back, and they are now better off for having, for him having turned. Which is is really sad and just frustrating. It's like, he's a bug. He was taking care of everyone. Now he needs their help and they're all like, no, screw you. We're going to make our own lives better. And you know what? Thanks for nothing. Bye. So the book is really disorienting. And and I just, I'm struggling to relate to it. So maybe that's one of the problems. But um, one last thing I'm going to, put out here to consider i found a post that described kafka as a almost woody allen type of personality (laughs) and they said that when he wrote these stories he did it so that he could read them at dinner parties explicitly to get people to laugh um so if you reread this story with that kind of context that it's much more enjoyable that is uh that is kind of interesting. I had not heard that. That is yet. a facet of that I hadn't heard either. Um I guess that's like you, people think, you know, he's German, he's posh, it's whatever. Like no, it's he, was, was he German? I thought he was Czechian. I think I saw that he is um uh is Czech, I believe. Could be true. it could be Czech. I think he was living in Germany if I'm Okay. Looks like Austria-Hungary at the time. Okay what is modern day Czech Republic. Okay. I was just there. Well, anyway, well, I, I guess I was thinking you he him? wrote it in German, right? Because that was the language spoken sure. at the time. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, I have a confession to make about the metamorphosis. <gasps> okay. Do it. I 
may or may not have read this. I don't know. <laughs> um, I am not sure if I either read it and don't remember it that well, or if I've just heard people talk about it a lot. It is one of our sister's favorite books ever. That's true. So. That is true. Uh, our yes. other one of our other sisters, uh, Leah, um, is this is like one of her favorite books. Oh. Yes. Well, she will be delighted to know that it's number one on my list. <laughs> to be fair, our other other sister, Molly, her favorite book is Anna Karenina. So ha! we're really yeah, just we're shitting just, on our sister. We're getting today. It, we're getting them all out oh there. Oh my gosh. We sure are. Conflicting but... opinions. <laughs> my gosh. That's yeah. what makes these lists fun. I will say, Scott, uh, I, I do have to take some issue with your dissection of the metamorphosis. Uh, it, is by, it is not one of my favorite books whatsoever. Like, it's fine. It's very short, which is nice. Yep, sure. Uh, but it's also very bleak. But it is in the genre that I write. So uh, it is a really early example of magical realism. Uh, it actually predates the definition of magical realism, but it fits in it really well. Uh, and that's the kind of genre where it's like something really weird happens, but reality just kind of continues without much, you know, recognizing of it. And it kind of is that absurdist weirdness. Uh, so hearing you say it was one of your least favorite parts of the book, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> But I can also see your point. I can see where it's just frustrating and super not for everybody. Hmm. Do you have other examples of that type of literature where... Yeah, so one of the most, like, another early example when the phrase actually started to come about uh, was A Hundred Years of Solitude or any of uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's work. He just did a lot within that genre. Um, Beloved by Toni Morrison is probably my personal favorite. Um, again, very, very bleak book, but it's it's really lovely as well. Um, Neil Gaiman writes in it a lot for a modern example. Uh, Salman Rushdie has done some. Yeah, Satanic so. Verses is, is that, right? Mm. Yeah. I, I've not read it, but... Would you consider Good Omens to be kind of in that style? Maybe loosely? No. I I wouldn't personally. So for me, what defines magical realism is that at the beginning of it, one small thing is shifted, and then we see how that small shift carries out in future. Um, Whereas in Good Omens, there's a lot that's different, and it's more just straight-up fantasy. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other examples of where I've actually read it, because you mentioned some examples, but I, I have not read any of those, so... I'm going to see, I'm going to look up some movies just to see. Uh, Edward Scissorhands, technically an example. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that. Um, let's see. The one weird thing in that movie is he got Scissorhands. What? Yep, and he sure does. And then we see what that means. Uh, yeah. Midnight in Paris, kind of. That came up when I Googled it, but. Mm. Uh, oh, Stranger Than Fiction. That's a good example if you've seen that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, Farrell. yeah. Yep. Yes, yeah, I love where that it's movie. just like, reality's just a little broken, but everybody's pretty okay with it. Like, it's not like earth shattering. And we just see how that affects the life of our protagonist. I think maybe um, The Leftovers might fit into that as well. I've never um, seen The Leftovers. I, it's absolutely phenomenal. The whole, the very briefly, the concept is um, uh, 
there's a if you're familiar with like avengers endgame avengers like the big thanos snap half Mm -hmm. the world population disappears this is kind of like that but on a much smaller scale it's like um oh it's the tv show i have seen this yes Yes. (laughs) three percent of the world's population disappears and so it is small enough of a percentage that basically everything is able to carry on as normal but everyone is affected by this societally mentally um and um if you don't if you don't know someone who disappeared you probably know someone who 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 knew someone that did um and what does that do to the world from yes. that point onward so i think I, that's that, a really that, good that, example that except fit, for one thing i'm not sure if i mentioned this facet of the genre before but an important like note of the genre is that people don't really care why it happened like that's not the onus of the plot is figuring out why it mm. happened and i'm not sure if that's the case in that show i haven't seen much of it well um, the, i think there are people who care there are people who care why it happened there are people who don't the show doesn't care why it happens okay then Does yes, that, count? that would be a good example okay. of magical realism yeah because just like in metamorphosis like uh gregor is like unhappy that this has happened and he's confused but the story's not interested in telling you why it has happened right that's that's like the main thing i love about the leftovers is the show show is absolutely uninterested in communicating to you why has this happened that's not what it's about similar to uh being john malkovich if you've seen that movie where it's like things just go a little sideways and people don't really know why but what happens when that does and it it's a good genre, I think, but it is it is not for everybody. Sure. I did find an example that I have seen. It says Big Fish is considered magic realism, but I'm struggling to figure out which part uh, of Big Fish is magic realism. Yeah, I don't know. About I don't that. think that's true. That's more of like a tall tale, you know. That's what I was I saying. love that movie. Yeah, me too. It's incredible. But oh, that's a good crier also, so, along with where the red fern grows. Look, looking at all the books that are on this list though. I don't think I've read any of these. So, you know, I would not say I'm completely dismissing this genre if I barely read anything in it. So, yeah, that's no, mm-hmm. don't uh don't worry, I'm not completely uh disregarding your potential <laughs> works of which I have not read any nor have I been invited to read any. Hint hint. Uh but if uh if I were, I'd definitely give them a fair chance. I appreciate that. All right, well, we should probably jump over to the last couple of the items on the list here. Yes. Uh, Milo's number one. Let's. Milo, your number one is up next. Ready. Another divisive choice. I know several people who this is their favorite book. Ooh. Wuthering Heights. Oh, Technically boy. by originally Ellis Bell, the pen name of Emily Bronte in 1847. Bronte. Have either I... of you read Wuthering Heights? I don't think I know a single plot detail of Wuthering Heights. Really? I know it's I know it's Emily Bronte, but I don't know anything mm-hmm. about it. Same. <laughs> I know nothing. Okay. So Wuthering Heights, you lead in with kind of this like really intriguing ghost story, which is kind of strange for a Regency era novel. Um, you don't get a ton of ghosts necessarily, um, sure. especially with, like within the Brontes' work um, or like Austin, who you typically think of as like the mm-hmm. defining writers of that era, but. So Wuthering Heights starts out really promising because there's this dude who shows up at this creepy old house and that he's trying to rent. And he is staying the night there and a ghost shows up and it's super spooky and weird. And there's like a weird groundskeeper. And then in typical novel era of this 
of the time. This is a framing device. And we go back to figure out what, why this ghost is there. Great premise, right? I love ghosts. I love framing devices Spooky. in this era. And then what, can, what happens is a very long, very awful, miserable people being miserable at each other book. Uh, <laughs> it is a long and complicated like family drama where there's a lot of like love and betrayal and oh no we're staring at each other across the moors because we're lost loves and essentially it just all it's people's lives unraveling in the most unhappy ways possible again a lot of childbirth some suicide not fun stuff and basically horrible things happen to children and then those children become horrible people and then they're horrible to the next generation of children and that's the book. And so you just make it to the end of the book, back to the start of the framing device. Um, the mean old groundskeeper, Heathcliff, dies and is rejoined with his ghost love on the moors. And that's it. It is very long. It is very miserable. I hate this book. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like a bad time. I, I'm fully prepared to support you on this, despite not knowing anything about the book prior to this, because <laughs> I don't like any Regency era novels. So <laughs> any um, that's I, interesting. I, I, I haven't read a ton. Um, I hated Jane Austen. Stuff OK, that I've read. Uh, uh, what's the name of the book? I can't think of it. Um, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility. I didn't like Pride and Prejudice. Um, Jane Eyre, that's what it is. That's not Jane Austen. Yep. No, that is not. That is another Bronte. Do you know which yes, one? Yes, that is. Um, that's the other Bronte, not Emily. There um, are three Brontes. There are three? What? There are My three. whole world has been shattered. Um, <laughs> I don't know. One of them was much less famous than the other two, though. Uh, Jane Eyre is Charlotte. Charlotte Bronte. Ah, right. I yep. detested that book. Uh, uh, my girlfriend at the time got me to read it, and boy, did not like it. And also did yeah, not I like will, and Prejudice, so. I will say for Regency era, I am a big hater of Dickens, so. Oh, I guess for including Dickens, and then, yeah, I, perhaps we're going to hear from me about Charles Dickens uh, oh lower down on my list. Spoilers. Uh, I do like, I like Tale of Two Cities a lot, and like Christmas Carol and stuff like that, but. um. For the most part, I agree. I'm with you. Dick, uh, uh, Regency era is not for me. Mm -hmm. mm. What about you, Scott? Do you have strong Regency era feelings? No, I don't think I do. <laughs> I that is a okay. Not strong enough. <laughs> well, if you do decide to dip into the genre, skip Wuthering Heights and try uh, something else. Uh, I was in the play Christmas Carol. So does that count? That is a great. I do love Christmas Carol. That is maybe my favorite of not? the era. It's it's, it's incredible. Succinct, it's brief. It gets the point across. It's entertaining, and yep. it's been muppetized. And the Muppet version is amazing. It's good. <laughs> I think I would like Wuthering Heights better if it was done by Muppets. <laughs> I think I'd like most things better if they were done by Muppets. You get like a Muppet discussion of of <laughs> death and childbirth. Oh my god. <laughs> I would love to cast uh, some people. If if there's one of our number ones who we've all read it, I'd love to cast the Muppets in it because okay. there's no greater joy. Oh I don't think you guys have read my number one, so. Okay. Hmm. Well, we'll see. 
Well, go ahead and tell us what it is. I'm curious. Okay, well, my number one, 1959. I hate this book more than I hate just about anything. Um, this is John Knowles' book. Uh, yet another coming-of-age novel, one of three on my list overall for the top six. Uh, a separate piece. Oh, yep. Nope, never read it, never wanted to. Don't know what it this is. This is another... This is another seventh grade book. Um, all right, I ha- I have to dig into the plot a bit on this one, so my expo- my explanation here is going to be a little bit longer, just to kind of give you the sense of just how this book is the worst, um, especially to, especially to inflict on seventh graders. Uh, so it's a coming of age novel set in 1942. Our protagonist is 16 year old Jean Forrester a student at the fictional prep school of Devon in New Hampshire. The school begins with Jean revisiting the school 15 years after graduating and revisiting two locations on campus that are traumatic for him, a set of stairs and a tree. The book then flashes back to the majority of the story, focusing on his time at the school. Jean develops a friendship with another boy named Phineas, who goes by Finney. Jean is quiet and introverted, while Finney is outgoing, winsome, and good at basically everything. They go on to develop a sort of friend group they call the Super Suicide Society of the Summer Session. Uh-oh. Uh, Finney creates an induction ritual to the society where new members must jump into the nearby river from a tall tree. Jean develops a sort of one-sided rivalry with Finney over time. Um, jealous of Finney's natural talent at sports and their studies and pretty much everything. He's just like the best at everything he does. Uh, this ultimately leads up to a scene where Jean and Finney are in the aforementioned tree, preparing to jump into the river, and on an impulse, Jean intentionally jostles the branch and causes Finney to fall, breaking his leg. This basically ruins Finney's life, as he's now unable to ever participate in sports again, which were his main passion. Jean uh, is tremendously guilty about this, eventually confesses to Finney, who doesn't believe him. Later on, another friend comes forward and accuses Gene of intentionally hurting Finney, and Finney comes to realize that Gene did hurt him intentionally. Uh, Finney leaves, and in the process, falls down a flight of stairs and breaks the same leg again. Uh, Finney decides to forgive Gene the next day, as they have discussions about it and everything, but then dies during the surgery to repair his leg because bone marrow got into his bloodstream. Oh, God. Uh, then Gene spends the rest of his life feeling guilty about what happens. That's the book. Wow. Yay. Uh, it's just, I guess it's, it's, it's one of the things where it's like, you can't, the main character is just so reprehensible and so unlikable in this case, just because of like, you're, you have the character of Finney who is like, genuinely a good person and really friendly and the only thing he ever did wrong was just being better at things than your main character and the jealousy that overcomes your main character and you know he's remorseful about it immediately like as it's happening he's remorseful about it but even so like just reprehensible actions and then the best thing he can do for the rest of his book is just like well i feel bad about this now and i can't (laughs) keep my mind off of it because i did a bad thing it's just like, ugh, the whole thing is just makes me feel gross to read about. Yeah, that sounds mm. deeply unpleasant. Yeah. And not at all peaceful. 
I don't know that it, it fits squarely into the uh, miserable people doing miserable things to each other because it's mostly Jean who's miserable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then has made other people miserable, and then the other people still aren't doing miserable things back to him. He's just inflicting misery on others. Uh, just, I just hate it. I just, when I read this as a, um, as a seventh grader, uh, I remember thinking the book was generally fairly boring, um, as I got through it. And then it got to the leg breaking scene and I was just like, are you kidding me? What? And then just all the actions the main character takes through the rest of the book are just like, and and there's a lot of like narrative, like main character thinking to himself. And especially as he's an adult, as it goes back to the framing device later, where there's a lot of moralizing and philosophizing on the nature of man and how, um, how like everyone hurts each other, except for Finney. He was the one pure and good person in the world. And it's like, nah, dude, you just suck. You just suck. <laughs> I just nothing this book did worked for me and I I just not a fan of it really frustrating I think it's actually maybe a thoughts of a sad white man book because it sounds like it's just like the author trying to get a point across and it's just his thoughts of being miserable yeah and like uh the the school is supposed to be like based on a school that he attended and everything okay of course it is um he actually wrote another book um set at the same school that's like completely unrelated to this one. I'm never going to read it because I hate, <laughs> I hated this book. It's a bad time. Yeah, I, that is one that I li- knew literally nothing about. Like, obviously, like it's, a, it's a name of a book that's very common, but I didn't know a thing about it. Yeah, I, I, I bring it up, uh, you know, you have different discussions with people about like reading books and stuff like that. And I, I brought this up with multiple people as I hated this book more than any other book that I've read. And like nobody's ever heard of it. <laughs> so this one's just yeah, I'm sure. over in my corner going, this book sucks. Oh, fascinating. I, I was just poking around on Google for it. Um, apparently, there is a uh, queer subtext to it. The oh, yes. Finney and Jean is... are intended to be gay well intended to be is debatable Mm -hmm. um the author did not explicitly make that clear um more recent readings of the book people have definitely leaned into that as um as as queer subtext a hundred percent um and i think that is a valid reading we don't really know if that's what the author intended or not okay fascinating uh, I also learned from Google that 51% of people liked this book. So, 51% of people are there. objectively wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and since we're, you know, since we are the foremost rankers on uh, in the world of podcasting and, and just the world in general, um, you know, you have to take our, 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 uh, our opinion seriously on this. That's Absolutely, like, uh, I'm in very esteemed company. N- nearly the definition of divisive there. 51%? Wow. Mm-hmm. It's pretty close to the 50-50 split. Oof. <laughs> and there's some... Yeah. We've just been discussing some rough books. Yeah, some heavy material. Um, You know, I, I, you, you look back at like some of like Romeo and Juliet and... It's a lot easier to it. Uh, like, yes, it's heavy, but like, it's so overwrought, and everyone is so extremely familiar with that story at this point that it is ve- a way easier for the the 
the context there that is heavy to just kind of blow right past you and just be like, ah, whatever. Just because you're mm-hmm. so over familiar with it, you know. But right. But in in some of these other ones that are a little more recent, um, and by little I'm talking three hundred years. <laughs> you know. Uh, what is the most? They said a little. They said a little heavy. What is the most recent book on our list? Uh, my most recent oh, was from 1954. Uh, and my separate piece is my most recent one at 59. Let's see. Um, what you got, Milo? Oh, but my list is all mixed up with Josh's on the document. Um, uh, Where the Red Fern Grows, by far, my most recent. And that is uh, 1961. Okay. So yours is, I think that's the most recent one overall. It is, but that's all within seven years of each other, and that was still over 60 years ago. (laughs) What's what's They don't make you read a lot of recent books for school, generally. Or at least least the recent ones are better. Yeah. How old does it need to be to be considered a classic? There's definitely debate about that. Yeah, Um, for sure. I know that Toni Morrison book start just kind of like teetering on that edge because a lot of them are from like the 80s and 90s um but in my mind they're absolutely classics i think that depends on the genre you look at too because like fantasy literature is you know a a much newer literary genre in -hmm. general than a lot of other ones and so I think the thresholds there are a little more generous. Yeah. Hmm. I think that's fair. Especially when you start talking about like epic fantasy and thing genres that like don't go much further back than like the late 80s. Was the thing they the things they carried in the 90s? Cuz I would also consider that to be Okay, yep, 1990. That is something I had to read in like four different classes. So, definitely within the classics. I'm old enough that books written while I was alive are can be considered classic. <laughs> does that make me an old? Does that make me old? Uh, it makes you a classic. Oh, there we go. I, I feel <laughs> old sometimes. We were looking at a list the other day of some specific vintage things, and hmm. some things from my pretty early childhood were on that list, and I was like, "Ooh, vintage! My vintage! <laughs> what is?" What is the cutoff on classic vintage for that sense? It wasn't toys. It was like uh, related to styles, you know. Mm. But anyway, I don't consider late 80s, early 90s vintage, but maybe it is. More so to probably more so to people younger, like some Gen Z folks, you know. Oh, I love that that vintage grunge vibe. What? (laughs) (laughs) Don't say that. Uh, All right. Well, we've 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 discussed our top fours here. We're gonna go into our final break, and then uh, in the last segment, we're gonna briefly talk about our fives and sixes. Didn't quite make the the top discussion here. Just kind of briefly go over each of those. Any honorable mentions we might have, and then we're gonna talk about what belongs on the unified top ten. So stick around. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed break number two. And if that's the best thing that you've 
listened to thus far in this episode, you should probably give us a five out of five. Leave us a nice like, <laughs> maybe review. Let your friends know how awesome we are. Tell us we need to bring Milo back on more often. Whatever the case may be, we appreciate the feedback. But getting it out to other people is probably the best way that we can keep doing this, keep the motivation going, and we'd really appreciate it. So now we're going to move on to the last part of this where we come to a unified top 10. And of course, we are the experts here especially Milo. Of course. So I'm sure we can figure it out. But first, before we get into that, we are going to round it out with our five and six or any honorable mentions, a couple of other things on our list. So yeah, let's start with yours, Scott. Oh, okay. Let's go with number five. I have Heart of Darkness by Oh, good choice. I've not read it. Have you read this one, Milo? I have. I disliked it very much. Oh, good. Oh. I'm glad. Uh, number six, I also <laughs> had Romeo and Juliet, so we can throw that on there. Um, one last honorable mention, and I, I'm not upset that I read this novel, because I, I think it serves a purpose, but it was deeply disturbing and very, very sad. And that book is A Child Called It. It was... Oh, yes. It was so rough. But mm-hmm. it wasn't a bad book. I'm not worse off for having read it. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. But there's some real tough content to, uh, to get through. So probably intersperse that in with uh, other more positive feeling books if, if you're going to read something like that. I, uh, I don't know anything about this. A Child Called It is about a mom that has Munchausen's by proxy. Oh no. Okay. Yep. Got it. Yep. Bad. Yep. <laughs> That's bad time already. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfectly wonderful to the other two children, I believe, but this one is mm-hmm. in particular yeah. the one that's the problem, I guess. And so she takes it all out on him. And nobody knows. Distressing. Nobody nope. has any Distressing. idea. I believe yeah, it's, it's also a true story or at least based on one. And right. Written is. by the the child, right? I think so, yeah. That's tough. Yep. Bleak. Very, very rough. I remember being very frustrated reading that book, but we're not going to get into the details on that. Let's, uh, let's kick it over mm-hmm. to Milo. What do you got, Milo? Milo, how bleak are your books? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty bleak, actually. Oh, God. Uh, Scarlet Letter, yep. if you've read that. Oh, yep. yep, okay. Not a good time. Puritans, Take, love it. Taking something like sex and making it awful. Gotcha, keep going. No one likes Puritans. Puritans love to do that. Uh, And then number six would be Taming of the Shrew, because, oh boy, (laughs) misogyny. More Shakespeare. More Shakespeare, the most misogynistic of the Shakespeare. Yeah, it's unfortunate, though, because the interpretation of that, the 10 Things I Hate About You movie, which is largely (laughs) loosely based on that, I, I actually really enjoyed that movie. Yeah, it's a delightful movie. Heath Ledger. Well, yeah, absolutely. I've not seen and it. Julia name that I'm forgetting. <laughs> I don't know her name either. It doesn't matter. Hold on, I got it. Julia Louis-Dreyfus from Seinfeld? No. <laughs> it's not her. It's... I like uh, her. I have no idea who's in this movie. Julia so Stiles. Just, Julia, Julia Stiles. Thank you. 
Yes. I think I like her. Is that who I think it is? <laughs> who can say? <laughs> oh, yeah, I like her a lot. She's in a season of Dexter that I liked, I believe. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Oh, Taming of the Shrew, <laughs> agreed. Not great. Nope. I, I still think well. Romeo and Juliet's worse, but. Josh? Then me, mine. Um, I have uh, my number five, uh, as I alluded to before, Great Expectation, Great Expectations by Charles Dickens from 1861. Another coming of age novel. This is a theme here. Um, just briefly, why this book sucks. Um, <laughs> follows the life of the orphaned Pip, meets a wealthy girl named Estella, at age eight, taken in as a companion by her adopted mother, Miss Havisham, who spends years leading Pip on while simultaneously teaching Estella to hate and spurn all men, effectively trapping them in an awful relationship and ruining any chance either has has at happiness. All because Miss Havisham hates men. Fun. Yay. I hate that book so much. Yeah, and number awful. six. Number six, Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell from 1936. To this day, one of the longest books I've ever read, despite the fact that I read a ton of epic fantasy. This is longer than most of those. (laughs) Um, I don't remember that much of it, but I had to read it in sixth grade for some god-awful reason, and I had a terrible time. It's so long. Okay. Um, (laughs) Honorable mentions. um, We've hit a couple of them. Great Gatsby, Lord of the Flies. Um, I also did not enjoy The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. And mm. The Pig Man by Paul Zindel and A Day No Pigs Would Die by Robert Newton Peck. A Day No Pigs Would Die. I've not heard of that one, but okay. Josh doesn't like pigs. Josh doesn't like coming of age. Understood. Yeah. Good to know. I don't like it when pigs come of age. All right. <laughs> that's um, a weird statement. So that's our... <laughs> uh those are our uh completed lists now so we're gonna move on here to the our very very final segment oh look at that you've already moved the items over um on our document here that we can all look at and eat more easily identify what's gonna go where um so just briefly to talk about to list off the items we have here um metamorphosis lord of the flies old man and sea frankenstein Weathering Heights, Anna Karenina, The Great Gatsby, Where the Red Fern Grows, Separate Piece, Catcher in the Rye. Um, I have listed here Nomeo and Juliet, which is not, <laughs> not in consideration. Oh, is, is that not what you put? Uh, oh, sorry. No. Wrong, wrong um, one. My bad. My bad. Back to that. Romeo. And then uh, The Grapes of Wrath. So we have 12 items here from each of our top fours, and um, which means two have to get cut. Hmm. Um, not make the top 10. I'm going to. Um, Go with majority rules here and say, um, Scott, we're coming for Frankenstein. We are yeah. coming for Frankenstein. Yeah, I, I kind of, I thought this might happen. I'm <laughs> it not, is a dear I love think, of both of ours. Just, I'm yeah, not gonna. I, I think because I think beyond it, it's I, I I like straight up love that book. So yes, same. It's one of my favorite books of all time. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Frankenstein can be the twelfth book, twelfth worst book you had to read for school. Fine. I'm not going to fight you on it. I don't feel strongly <laughs> enough. Okay, so that's 11 then. That's, uh, um, yeah, this is this is a tough one for me because just like looking at our top ones, uh, it, it's, it, it means different things to each of us as to why mm-hmm. it's up there and just uh, interpreting those reasons and comparing them between us is is very complicated. So I, I'm struggling to 
usually I have some kind of insight like, oh yeah, I know I get this and we're going to probably agree on these reasons and whatever. I'm really, really drawing blanks on this one. Comparing these is very difficult. No, that's fair. I, I'm happy to fall on the proverbial sword here and offer up where the Redburn grows for number 11, just because Josh feels strongly about it. Uh, and I also don't hate it as much as a lot of other things. I'll take it because I, fair enough, 13 year old me enjoyed that book quite a bit. Uh, well then, so that's it that we've got 10 here now. Kind of puts the grapes um, of wrath at number 10 then roughly speaking. Um, I'm okay with that. Like I said, if we, if we, if, if you guys would like to see grapes of wrath at 10, um, I'm okay with it because I can recognize like it's well written. I, th- like I said, I think Steinbeck does what he's setting out to do in that mm-hmm. book. It's just a bummer. Yep. <laughs> it's just a I real think that's bummer. That's so we want to do that. Let's do it. All right. Grapes of Wrath, number 10. We're cooking here. Nine more to go. <laughs> um, Does anybody have strong feelings about something toward the top of the list? Metamorphosis, I feel about A separate piece, because that book sucks. <laughs> um I haven't read Wuthering Heights. I maybe read Metamorphosis. I don't remember. But um, I, it, if I did, I probably it wasn't didn't hit me strong enough to remember that I read it. I so, think it is pretty forgettable. Um, I am more inclined to support to support Wuthering Heights over Metamorphosis personally because I tend to not like that type of book. All right, well, we don't have to decide officially then. Um, I, I would say, for me, out of all the things on the list, um, I think Romeo and Juliet should be elevated, um, probably in the top half, mm-hmm. because it's on both your list as number three. And, and Milo, you also six. don't like it. Yes. It's got to be up there. Um, maybe in, in an agreed upon closer to the like four, fourth or third. Um, I'm gonna plug it in number four for Catcher now. in the Just Rye. While I've never read it, I I am very familiar with it because of the fans of it, because of the misinterpretations and the who are these people? Years and who are these <laughs> mythical fans? Yeah, they kill John Lennon, but because of uh, just, okay, people like uh, my friend Josh who never shuts up about it. Oh wait, no, that's never mind. Um, no, they uh. Just in general, I've heard a lot of really negative things about it. So never having read it, I already feel like I have read it because of what I know about mm-hmm. it. And so I would say that's probably also pretty high up on my list of despised novels. And I think if I had read it, I probably would agree with you. I'm right there with you, Scott. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't think it's good. So I'm. I'm okay putting it up somewhere. Um, Milo, what do you think? What What else is on here? that you have thoughts on let's see great gatsby i feel like we all have a similar level of revulsion to enough to where i think it could be right at the top of the billing um then i think i think all of us here have read it correct no and i I I don't think any oh okay but i i saw part i saw parts of the movie yeah and i know what it's about right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think 
I think I've heard nobody say anything good about it. So I think it deserves top billing. You, you, so you're pushing for Great Gatsby at number one here. Oh, not number one. Like a top uh, of at, you know, top half at the, top at least. Of the list, but not okay. the most top. Sure, sure. But yeah, I what think if I slide? What if I slide? Great. Solid two. Ooh, I think I was it's put solid it at three. two. We'll put it at two. I'll, I'll put it at two for now. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> what do we think deserves to be higher than the Great Gatsby? Yeah, maybe this is mm. how we have to do it. I think Romeo and Juliet is worse than the Great Gatsby. I disagree. I would agree. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> well, I did. Great Ga- Romeo and Juliet but, made my list. Great Gatsby didn't. That is fair. Um, I guess it was on both of your lists, which is telling what if we shift around here a little bit what if i bump great gatsby down to three and romeo and juliet gets promoted to two whoa <laughs> how do we feel about that i'm okay with that yeah we could leave it for now okay i, okay. I i'm gonna yeah go ahead i i was gonna make a strong advocate of catcher in the rye being number one because people died <laughs> And That's true. People of, did die as a result of catching of the rye being ones, made. I don't know if anyone else like straight up died. So mm. that's my pitch. Well, I would say that we've already determined that Piggy died. It was a snuff film, right? So <laughs> that's fair. Um, I, I, I wasn't going to make that my lead argument for catching the rye, Milo. But, you know, now that you frame it that way. Much like last week, it was hard to argue against 9-11. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yep. Um, I'm going to slot Catcher in the Rye in because J.D. Salinger indirectly killed John Lennon. Mm-hmm. Not a sentence he could say every day. <laughs> okay. Um, so we have, what? That's, we, we've got six light items left to slot in here. Catcher in the Rye. Thanks, John Lennon. All right, let's see. I think Old Man the Sea should be at number nine because I like it. Whoa. Uh, I'm fine with that. I have no standing on the Old Man or his sea. Scott, do you accept this? Uh, hold on, I'm looking. Uh, uh, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Accept my fate. We're going to put that there for now. Um, and for later. Interesting here. We have five items left to slot. No one has put any of their number ones on the list yet. That is interesting. Yeah, I'm, um, this is where it gets into, we can largely agree on some broad things, but when it comes to specific reasons why we dislike something, it just comes down to personal taste, and it seems like we're not going to agree on that. It's true, but we still get to argue about it. I don't think... Okay, so of the items remaining here, which are, that we haven't slotted in, which are the Metamorphosis, Lord of the Flies, Weathering Heights, Anna Karenina, and a separate piece. I have read two of these for sure, maybe one of these. Um, and I feel, Milo, your remaining two picks, I feel very mm-hmm. confident that I would not like them. <laughs> I am going to advocate for Metamorphosis at eight. Weathering Heights. If I can jump in there, just because I kind of like it. And I think it's the only one on the list that someone kinds of likes left. Okay. Mm, okay. Scott, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty <laughs> low rating for your number one. Uh, yeah, that means I've got number 12, oh, no. number nine, and number eight. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't mean oof, to be so mean oof. to you on your own podcast, Scott. I'm sorry. 
No, it's okay. I, I'm, uh, I'm not the one that's the expert <laughs> here. Um, I, that's true. That's true. It's okay. Um, I, 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 you know, I've never been woman's plane <laughs> to, but this is a first. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that uh, English degree actually aids in subjective decisions about quality of books, but, you know, I'll take it. Is is woman-splained a word? Did I just make that up? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm sure somebody, somebody has certainly said has said it. Someone recently said to me, um, "It the MCU, it should be called the MCU. Wow, so, okay. So, worse okay. things have been That's... said. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure what that's supposed to mean. I, you know, I, I, I'm gonna pause for a second here and just say I'm withdrawing my, retracting my previous statement about woman splaining, and I <laughs> don't ever want to use that word or be associated with it. So let's just move on. <laughs> that that is fair. That is fair. I I don't um, really like metamorphosis going number eight. The the problem is. I, I really just did not like this book, and I, I feel like I'm worse off for having read it. But it's, uh, uh you kind of like it, and... We can compromise on a six. How does a six trauma. sound? No. It's... Let's come back to it. Let's go to another one. <laughs> okay. How about this, Scott? How about this, Scott? What if we put Lord of the Flies at number four? You're not making me feel that much better. Why don't we come back to Metamorphosis? <laughs> okay, okay. We'll, we'll come back. Um, but I agree, Lord of the Flies should be number four. Lord of the Flies, number four? Milo, feel good with that? I'm totally fine with that. I've never read it, so... Okay. No strong feelings. Uh, they did kill an actual child to make that movie. Allegedly. That's what I Allegedly. heard. Exactly. It was. That's so going to show up in the like IMDb facts for this once this podcast blows up. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Not only is it it not a coming of age novel, but it is about pigs. Piggy dies. Oh, no wonder Josh hates it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we have three number ones here still. Oh my gosh. Not placed. <laughs> and so, Anna Karenina. I think I actually like Milo's explanation of Anna Karenina over Wuthering Heights as a worse option. Really? Yeah. I, I think, it's probably because you hate Russians. Well, that's not true. But <laughs> if uh, if it were, then that would be a reason. Honestly, I hate them pretty interchangeably. Wuthering Heights is, I've always said, it's my least favorite book. But Anna Karenina, I, I did shed some blood, sweat, and tears over. So I am okay with it being higher. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm with Scott a little bit. Um, it, although I, you know, the the whole Regency era argument I think is strong for Wuthering Heights mm-hmm. for me personally, but also depressing, extremely overcomplicated Russian literature is pretty strong yes. argument as well. I believe so it's maybe... also at least twice as long. Uh, Anna oh, Karenina is twice no. as long as Wuthering Heights. Mm. Yeah, I think so... that wins. I think that wins yep. by default. Then number five. Anna Karenina number five. Okay, I could say five in Russian. Look at her go, love. girl boss. Girl boss, gaslight, girl boss, gatekeep. <laughs> Anna, the Anna Karenina story. Uh, <laughs> is Anna Karenina a character in the in the book? She is. Yes. Okay. I feel like that's obvious. Good to have that cleared up. You never know. Sometimes it's, it's not. You know, they have a name and it's like yeah. symbolic or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like like that's Don true. Quixote, not a real character. Donkey. Okay. Quixote. <laughs> All right. Um, three. No, that's a kids show. My kids watch it on PBS. 
Is there actually a show called Don Quixote? Yeah, Don Quixote. <gasps> yeah. What? That's amazing. It's a, it's a puppet-based show, okay. and it's about a donkey uh, that has friends, like a giant bear. And is there anyway, is there a Sancho Panza? No, I don't believe so. Okay, this is terrible then. Uh, <laughs> it's not a great show. It's just a kid's show. You're not missing anything. We have successfully anyway, placed on. every item on this list except for our number ones. This is unprecedented. That is wild. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just going to put Metamorphosis at eight. I'll, I'll concede. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even going to fight you Scott, on it. Scott Scott has collapsed. He's a broken <laughs> shell of a man. Milo is broken. This broken is really biting well for our friendship, Scott. <laughs> My, Milo broke me, but also oh, no. I've been sick this week. And you know what? I... Just I don't have the energy. Scott's got no fight in him. You got your number one last week, so. I feel yeah. like a yeah. true victor now. A Victor Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like a separate piece over Wuthering Heights, personally. But they both are, mm. from the sound of Wuthering Heights, both very depressing. Um, how do we feel about li- miserable people? Li- uh, what, if we, what if we genre argument? Which genre well, is Hold works? on, hold on. Okay, let's go for it, Scott. Hold on. Because these are neither my picks, right? Uh-huh. Separate piece and Wuthering mm-hmm. Heights. Um, I think, based on both of your explanations of the two, a separate piece should be slightly higher okay. and should be six. You are that's just partial third party, so I think that is fair. But I'm curious about Josh's genre, ar- ar- uh, genre oh, yeah. argument as well. Yeah, my, my suggestion is going to be which genre is worse? Um, sad white man having or white man having sad thoughts about his life or miserable people being miserable to each other. Oh, what do you think, Scott? Mm, I don't like it when miserable people are being miserable to each other. <laughs> As evidenced by the great Gatsby. True. But that sad old white man. Mm. I don't know. It's tough. That's, that's real tough. I don't like period pieces either, though. Oh. oh added complication were either of these period Uh, pieces when they were written though i don't think so that's Mm. a good point oh man scott just no i stuff i still like uh josh's explanation slightly better but yeah no i think i have to go with that as six if if i'm being certain at this point okay okay except this one i'm outvoted that is it's close do you want to take a six and a half each and you can call it a tie? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a list here. Um, Whoa. I, I'm going to run it down. My gosh. Uh, this list is depressing, is what this list is. We have our dishonorable <laughs> mentions of Frankenstein and Where the Red Fern Grows. Both books are that are actually good. Uh, <laughs> now we have, uh, according, according to me, uh, okay, the actual wow. list. Oh, whoa. King the, of the, list. the list according to Josh. Jesus. All okay. right. The actual list here. Number Symbolism. 10, John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath. Number 9, Ernest Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea. Number 8, Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis. Number 7, Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights. Number 6, John Knowles's A Separate Piece. Number 5, Leo Tolstoy's Anna Karenina. Number 4, William Golding's Lord of the Flies. Number three, F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. Number two, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. And number one, J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye. 
the worst book you ever had to read for school because it led to death. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a good list, y'all. It's pretty good. It is a good list. It's pretty good. It's very inclusive. Um, I think (laughs) it covers enough variety that people would say, yes, these are books I read and I hated them. Yes. At least one or two. And then they'd say, what? Frankenstein at 12? That's obnoxious. (laughs) It should be number one. It's awful. Yeah, number one on the best books list. That's next week, right? Yeah. Next next time we have Milo on, we'll do best books yet there you maybe, go maybe something else i don't know we'll, we'll, we'll yeah we'll have you on again if you want this was a good time yeah no it was thank a you good so much time. for having me it was a great time yes yeah, absolutely i i submit that we do something that feels less like homework next time that's fair i'm okay with this that's fair <laughs> uh i guess before we wrap up uh milo do you have anything you want to plug Yeah, so I have a podcast of my own that you can all waste your time with if you would like. Uh, It is called the Watch Your Mouth Podcast. It is with uh, Dave, who is our dad. Not Scott's dad, sorry, unless you want him to be. I'm sure he'll adopt you. Uh, He was on a couple episodes ago on this very show. Indeed. We forgot to let him plug plug the show then. (laughs) I heard that. So I'm doing it for both of us. Um, it's a podcast about phrase etymology and why we say the things we say. So we just talk about a lot of common phrases and what they mean and where they came from. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Thank you. You should check it out. I will. Watch your mouth. Podcast. It's a good time, but I appreciate being on this one as well. It's been great having you. Thank now, you. there's one thing that is yet to be answered. Okay. And, uh, that was which book or maybe even author has the most elitist or Rick and Morty ask fan base. Oh boy. Um, I, I don't know that we uh, officially know this answer, but some suggestions that I I've been thinking about um, certain Stephen King novels mm. uh, come up um, in fantasy Malazan, if you're familiar with Malazan, hey, Josh, Book great. of the Fallen. Um, apparently, they've got uh, something of an elitist following. Oh, definitely. 100%. Some people are like, I, in, I can't read fan- any other fantasy ever again after reading Malazan, oh, no. which is a dumb and bad opinion. I think the books are incredible. They're very unique, but that's a bad opinion. Well, then maybe they're the right ones here, at least in fantasy. Oh, because... I, don't, I don't feel good about that. <laughs> well are they the rick and morty though if they're not reading or doing anything oh you just don't understand it's it's better i'm like uh, okay well apparently there's some kind of crossover between malazan fans and tool fans it's it's a weird like overlap i do also like tool i like tool too (laughs) well malazan um they're was another recommendation that Ayn Rand could be oh, potentially. I was just thinking Ayn okay. Rand. Yep. Yeah, that wins. Okay. That wins. Yeah, uh, that's got to win. I'm sorry. Well, I'm. I won't fight you too much on that ultra, one. It's uh, the, the Malazan Book of the Fallen did not spawn a series of ultra right wing movies. It didn't. No. No. Well, then I was wrong about that. I think that, that wins by default. <laughs> I, I think that is the winner that popped into my head as well. Um, yeah, I'm going to say honorable mention Donna Tartt, having been in school with a lot of literature people who are really, really rabid about Donna Tartt, and sorry, they're not that good of books. I don't know <laughs> who that is. She Neither did The Goldfinch and Secret History, if you know those. 
I do not. That's okay. They're they're what high schoolers will be reading in like thirty years as classics. Okay. Yeah, they're very dry, very long, and dismal. I apologize to the high schoolers of thirty years from now. <laughs> yep. Assuming that high school still exists thirty years from now. <laughs> but I think I think Ayn Rand is the correct choice. I think we've really landed with a democratic process here. Absolutely nailed it. Look at that. I'm glad, another I'm glad we another number one determined. Two in one episode. Wow. wow. Two for the price of none. <laughs> wow. And now the five people that will have hear, heard this uh, episode will be ecstatic. Well informed. <laughs> Value. Well, I, I think that's probably about it. That's we a podcast. Can, uh... Whoa. Hey, well, thanks for taking the time to listen to us argue. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Our next episode will be posted in two weeks' time, as we are going to keep the bi-weekly release schedule. Josh, do you want to tell these lovely people, the the three or four people that are still listening, what our next topic will be? Uh, We're jumping back to the world of television. Um, are we're going to be talking about the best female main characters in TV? Ooh. Main characters that are female. Yes, we could. I've, we could probably come up with a nice top ten list of that. I've already got ideas. Hey, me too. Until next time, I have been Scott, and I've been Josh, and I'm Milo. And remember, with a little practice you can argue your way into a friendship. Take care, folks. Hello and welcome back, everyone. Uh, In... (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) Sorry. Hold on. Oh, no. All right. Well, that failed. Um, (laughs) Let me start over.